Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson bringing to you news this week from the United States, Brazil, the United Kingdom, and Myanmar. And I also have a See You in Hell, that's the celebration of a dead fascist from Austria. Starting out in the United States, Fox News is going to reportedly settle in its civil suit, the civil suit against it, by Dominion. Uh, Dominion is a company that makes voting counting machines, and it has sued Fox News for defamation, for providing false information about Dominion's voting machines. Now, Fox is apparently agreeing to settle for probably about a billion and a half dollars, admitting essentially that, yeah, they did lie about Dominion voting machines and about the election in 2022. Moving on to Texas, a Texas judge named Matthew Kasmerick is currently holding hearings about the legality of the most popular and most well-used method of abortion in the United States, a, a two-pill system that induces abortions. Now, this case that he is hearing has been brought by a radical right-wing Christian organization, and it is a suit against essentially the FDA, saying that the FDA used a dubious process in order to justify and approve this course of medication. The judge is hearing all of these things right now, but he's trying to make sure that the press and like activists are not present at these hearings. Uh, unfortunately, of course, for him, it is getting a whole lot of press that is not unfortunate for us who believe that people's right to choose whether or not they want to get pregnant is an inherent human right. A MAGA political activist has been convicted on the KKK Act. These convictions came down for Jacob Wall and Jack Berkman, who are sort of stylized as right-wing provocateurs and hoaxers. What they are is criminals and right-wing political hacks. They have been found guilty of violating the Voter Rights Act and the KKK Act, which is an act that specifically refers to the attempt to prevent black people from voting in the United States and like, you know, preventing racial groups from voting. They've been convicted because they arranged thousands and thousands of robocalls, that is, um, mechanized, automated phone calls, which claimed to be from a fully fictional woman who, in the fiction of the call, is named Tamika Taylor. These calls were targeted at specific places in the United States that are predominantly populated by people of color. And the supposed caller in these robocalls was telling listeners that if they voted by mail, the police would be able to identify them and look at them for potential warrants that might be had out, and also that credit card companies would get a hold of people's locations and start hounding them increasingly for repayment. The organization that runs Truth Social, the sort of Trump answer, Trump response to Trump's being ousted from Twitter several years ago, is now under investigation for money laundering. Federal sources have identified two loans that it received wired through a Caribbean country. Uh, the news sources that I've found haven't said which Caribbean country. I guess I assume it's the Cayman Islands. Anyway, these two loans were wired through the Cayman Islands or from the Caribbean in general, and they were connected to organizations that were already under investigation. That's how this came to light. The sources of these loans are presumed to be from Russia based upon patterns that these federal sources have identified so far, but we'll be hearing more about this, I guess, in the future. Finally, on the Trump front, there is an increasing developing fight between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis over the spot of being the Republican presidential nominee for the 2024 presidential election. 
DeSantis has not officially said that he is running. However, he is starting to like go around and visit states that you visit if you want to become the president, you know, like Iowa and New Hampshire and stuff. Donald Trump is considering pursuing some legal action against DeSantis, saying that he is engaging in presidential campaigning without having announced his presidential campaign, which is illegal because of certain like financial rules and regulations about like, you know, reporting campaign contributions as opposed to like generalized political contributions, that kind of thing. Additionally, Trump is clearly starting to use real opposition research to try to get at DeSantis, who is currently looking like the leading light of the Never Trump camp. Although I would remind you that the Never Trump camp already lost, right? Donald Trump is already the leader of the Republican Party. I also want to let you know about something that I didn't know about Ron DeSantis that has really changed my calculus about whether or not he has a chance of beating Trump in this nomination fight. Ron DeSantis is five foot nine. That is, frankly, too short to be elected president of the United States. Donald Trump is over six feet tall, and I, I just don't think that I just don't think that DeSantis can win if he's standing up on a stage against him. I just don't think that that's how U.S. politics works, unfortunately. Finally, the Oathkeeper trial is ongoing. They are claiming that they weren't trying to destroy the government. Right, that is their claim in this legal battle that they're having. You know, they're saying that like they were being misled and all that sort of stuff. This is a trial over their participation in the January 6th attempted coup by Donald Trump and his allies on January 6th, 2021. And on that note, Paul Gosar, a longtime Trump ally and just like intransigent right-wing Republican and member of the United States Congress, has been calling for prosecution over the January 6th Special Investigation Committee, which was led by the Democrats when they controlled the United States House of Representatives in the first part of Biden's administration. The specific quote from Paul Gosar is, heads are going to roll, as in like, he thinks that people need to be prosecuted for investigating the January 6th attempted coup. Specifically, he's called for prosecution of Liz Cheney and uh, several other people, including military officials in the United States military, for their participation in this investigation. He thinks that there should be what he calls, quote, a real investigation, which is, in fact, what the GOP is doing. They are ramping up to have their own investigation of the Democrats' investigation of Donald Trump's attempted coup, which, of course, they think is either both a hoax or good, which is pretty standard fascist logic. Like, A, it didn't happen, and B, if it did happen, it was good. And when it comes to fascist logic... Fascist groups in Florida have been projecting images of crosses that are enlaced with swastikas in that state. And that is sort of like standard fascist behavior, right? They're, they're, they're engaging in massive and ostentatious displays of propaganda. But the thing that I really wanted to let you all know about is that this story came to light because they got a big, nice, juicy, cushy write-up from NPR, you know, from PBS, right? They go out at night and they project these hateful images on large buildings. They hide from cops. But the the coverage on this, it, 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 it's tonally exactly the same as, like, you know, the coverage that the NPR would give of, like, a lady who makes songs about how much she loves her horses or something. I mean, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling the degree to which this kind of politics has become normalized in the United States. Moving on from the United States, in Brazil, the president of Brazil, Lula, is continuing his crackdown on the participation of Brazilian military officials in Bolsonaro's attempted coups. He has replaced at this point over 100 military officers who were appointed by Bolsonaro to various positions 
in the Brazilian government. He's also changed up there how the, the intelligence branch of the Brazilian government is run, bringing it directly under his office as opposed to keeping it outside because he's, he's worried about military action, right? The Brazilian military is staying outside of politics for now. This is partly because of the person that Lula appointed to lead it. He is a, a very staunch believer in military independence, as in like not getting involved in politics, this particular leader of the Brazilian military. But the fact is that the military liked Bolsonaro and voted for him. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they would participate in a coup, but it might mean that like when push comes to shove, they might not have Lula's back in exactly the same way that he would need them to. Anti-queer legislation has been ramping up in Uganda. This is part of a generalized crackdown on queerness in that country, and it is spurred by the growth of radical right-wing Christian political positions in that country. Christian politicians in Uganda have proposed essentially a ban on all homosexual activity and identity in their country. They have tried to pass this type of legislation before and failed, but not before there was a wave of anti-queer violence in Uganda. And in the United Kingdom, the United Kingdom's recent anti-immigration bill has been uh, praised by extreme right-wing groups throughout the European Union. Now, this anti-immigration bill was pushed through by the conservative government in the United Kingdom, led by Sunak. The Sunak government is planning to deny asylum to anybody who is arriving in the United Kingdom. Like, period. No matter where they are from, no matter if they're fleeing a war zone, if they are fleeing persecution, if they are fleeing abuse, whatever. Sunak doesn't care and thinks that all of those people should be turned away at the door and returned somewhere. And that's the problem, because now that the UK isn't in the EU anymore, they can't like send them back to other countries in the EU because they don't have freedom of movement in those places, right? Now, the UK is trying to make an agreement with France to see if they could just send them back to France and like establish bilateral ties with France, but the EU says that France can't do that. It's a big Brexit mess. But the right-wing part of this news is that the extreme right-wing figures in the EU love this bill. And I mean, like the people who love this bill, it's a real who's who of people who are terrible right-wing figures in the European Union. We're talking Eric Zemmour, who is the figure that is to the right of Marianne Le Pen, the right-wing presidential candidate in France. We're talking the AFD, the Alternative for Deutschland party, the right-wing party in Germany. We're talking uh, Matteo Salvini, who is a, an extreme right-wing politician in Italy and a participant in that country's extreme right-wing governments for the last several years. These people are all anti-immigrant, anti-Islam, uh, and they are just loving this UK policy. And uh, if these people like your policy, then it is a serious indicator that something is wrong. You have gone wrong. Finally, the country of Myanmar is continuing to see increasing fights and violence against civilians in military crackdowns against civilian people in Myanmar and also military crackdown against people who are continuing to fight that country's military government after its coup in February of 2021. Myanmar, which is also sometimes known as Burma, uh, has had the highest level of state violence against civilians in the entire world last year. So of all countries in the entire world, Myanmar experienced, or rather the Myanmar government perpetrated the highest level of violence against civilians last year. And this isn't just like, you know, police harassment and stuff. We're talking airstrikes. We're talking like artillery shelling. 
Finally, going to close out this week like I do every week with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week, we are talking about a person named Ernst Starenberg, who was an Austrian fascist during and after World War II. Starenberg was born in Austria, which was then a part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, in 1899 to an oldie-time Austrian noble family. As in, one of his ancestors was instrumental in defending Vienna, that is the capital of Austria, against the invading Ottomans in the early modern period. He thus inherited a title of prince, so he's often just called Prince Starenberg. He served against Italy in World War I for the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and after the World War I loss of the Austro-Hungarian Empire and the establishment of the Austrian Republic, he joined the Freikorps, a sort of home for right-wing veterans in Austria and Germany. He then moved into politics and was elected as a Catholic right-wing radical in this post-war republic. And it is at that time that he became an admirer of Benito Mussolini and Adolf Hitler's Nazi party. However, he fell out with the Nazis in the early 1920s after their attempted putsch, uh, so-called the Munich putsch or the Beer Hall putsch, the one that put Hitler into jail when he was riding Mein Kampf. So Starenberg didn't like the Nazis after that, and he continued his political involvement, however, and eventually rose up to become the Minister of the Interior for Austria. He then joined with Engelbert Dolfus, a clerical fascist, a Catholic fascist, somebody who is known as an Austro-fascist, because of his opposition to the Nazi party in Austria. Remember, at this time, Austria's political world was essentially divided between the Dolfus Austro-fascists and the Nazi fascists who wanted Austria to be annexed by Germany. So Starnenberg helps Dolfus to create the umbrella organization, which is called the Fatherland Front. After Dolfus's assassination, Starnenberg didn't end up leading the country, even though he's the second most important person in it, because of a compromise with other conservative forces, which he agreed to. He eventually became vice chancellor, sort of like an actually powerful vice president type figure. He tried to prevent the Anschluss, that is the annexation of Austria by Germany, and failed. He was purged along with the other leaders of the Fatherland Front, essentially for being the wrong kind of fascists, like not Nazis, right? They were Austro-fascists instead. And he was sent to a prison camp. However, he escaped his prison camp and then spent the early parts of World War II working with the Free French, that is the French opposition to Nazi occupation, and also with the United Kingdom against the Nazis. But, you know, he wasn't a Democrat. He was an Austro-fascist. He just hated the Nazis. And that also explains his eventual abandonment of the anti-Nazi movement because he left them after the Free French and the UK and then eventually the United States sided with the USSR against the Nazis because, of course, like any fascist, Starenberg hated the communists. So in 1942, he abandoned the European fight and moved to, where else? Argentina. He remained there until 1955, essentially in exile. Uh, and in 1955, when Juan Perón was ousted from power and himself left Argentina for Spain, Starenberg also left Argentina. He came back to Austria for a visit, intending to come back to Argentina, apparently, but he died during his visit in Austria. Uh, and his death is, frankly, a little comical. While at a spa town in Austria while taking a walk, he was ambushed by a photographer who was working for a communist Austrian newspaper. And so this photographer was taking a picture of, you know, this extremely important fascist from before the war. Starenberg got upset that this person was taking his photo. He attacked the photographer with his cane and died of a heart attack from the exertion. He died this week in history, 15th of March, 1956. So, Ernst Starenberg, we will see you in hell. All right, 
That was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. Check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out and all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail, 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at hist of the right. That's H-I-S-T of the right and fascism 15. And again, that 15 is spelled out. All right. Thank you very much. And I will talk to you next week. Thank you.